0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. Open up your Bibles over to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. As you continue in a series that we've entitled 7. I'll pray here in a minute, but I want to read God's Word to you. John is on the island of Patmos and he's receiving from Jesus. He's got a vision of Jesus and Jesus is giving to John uh, John, these these letters that he wants to send to seven churches. John's dictating these letters. These seven churches represent seven actual churches that existed in Asia at that time, Asia Minor at that time. These seven churches also represent seven churches within the church age. We're living right now in the church age. It started when Jesus ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, that was the beginning of the church age. And from that moment, there's been these seven kind of ages of the church. And so Jesus is writing to those ages. He's also writing to you and I, to seven churches that exist today. He's writing to the individuals in this room and, and he's giving us his word. He's correcting us and encouraging us and moving us forward on into everything that he has. The, the church that we're reading about today is the sixth church. It's, the, it's called the Church of Brotherly Love or the, the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia means brotherly love. It's uh, phileo is the first part. Philea means love. And Delphia is brother. So it's love of a brother or brotherly love. Uh, It's not the city here in the U.S. There's a church that existed in Asia at this time. So the youngest of the seven churches, which I love, by the way, because when you see what he says to this church, I just think God's got his eye on, on students and youth and the, the young in our midst today that God wants to move in a special way. And, and he writes to them and he, and he says, he says this in verse seven of revelation three to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write These things says he, who is holy and he, who is true. How many of you know, God is holy. Come on. God is true. Jesus is true. I'm going to preach on that in a second. He's holy and is true. He who holds the keys to David, he who opens doors and no one shuts. He who shuts doors and no one opens. Hey, it's gonna be a good morning, right? We're talking about Jesus who opens doors and closes doors and for us and for his kids. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you a door and no one can shut it. He says, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I call that the momentum of heaven, the momentum of heaven. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere, 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 keep going, don't give up, keep pushing, I, I know it's hard, I, I know sometimes you're you're losing faith and I know sometimes it, it gets more difficult than you, you think you signed up for, but, but you persevere, he says, as you persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that will soon come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly, hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him a new name. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And God, today, as we look at this we look at the sixth letter, we pray that you would help us to receive from you what it is you desire to speak to us. God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach, but God, I pray you'd anoint us to hear what it is that you wanna to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone agreed together and said a good hearty. Amen and amen. Well, if you notice, that I, there's, there's two things that Jesus does for this church. One, he, he praises the church. Someone say praise. He's praising the church, but he's also promising the church. When I wrote this message, I... Talked all about, I went in and I did all the praise and then I went to the promise. But here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna flip it real quick. I wanna talk to you about the promises that God gives to this church, okay? Because these are promises for you and I that if we live like this church, which is what I'm gonna do in the last half, challenge us to live like this church. If we live like this church, we could walk in the promises of this church. Anyone like some promises, amen? Amen. And so what he promised to this church, he said, listen, I'm 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 gonna promise you that as you continue to live in this way, uh, there's gonna be justice, those that are from the synagogue of Satan that said they're, they're from me but are not of me that have been causing all sorts of trouble. He said, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna deal with that. I'm gonna deal with that. I want you to know today that as you walk with Jesus and you keep your eyes on him, And you just, you don't get distracted by the naysayers. You don't get distracted by the haters. You don't get distracted by those that are that are talking bad and trying to stop you. You just keep on going. I tell you this, listen, God will deal with the naysayers, right? God will deal with those who come up against his people. The Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And there will be a day where justice will prevail and justice will rule in our land on behalf of our lives as we walk with Jesus. Can I get a better amen from the church? Amen. So listen, I'm trying to encourage you. Some of you, you've been listening to what everybody else is saying. You've been distracted by all the negativity and friends that are, oh, you could do better and you should, and this is, come on. You keep your eyes on Jesus. They've been talking bad about you. Jesus says, although others might not see it, I see it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with it. He promises them justice. He also promises them protection. He says, I'm gonna keep you from the hour of trial that's about to come on the earth, on the, earth or in the world, Now, there's a lot of debate uh, with scholars as to what this hour of trial is. And here's what I'm going to say, is that with all the debate out there, everyone can be in different camps and everyone can have a different opinion and we could all still love Jesus together and we could all still go to the same church and everything else, right? But here's my take on what Jesus is talking about there. I believe that the hour of trial that he's talking about here is the great tribulation, there's a time coming where God will pour out his wrath on a God-rejecting world. And that's what most of the rest of the book of Revelation about. It's the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, and all these, all these judgments. Now, if you keep in mind that these seven churches are churches throughout the age, come on, right? You get to this church, and this is the church in this time frame as it transitions over into the next church where Jesus says, Listen, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that is about to come upon the earth, from the great tribulation that's about ready to come upon the earth. It's what's talked about, I believe, over in the book of Thessalonians where he talks about that in, in a blink, in a twinkle of an eye, we'll be caught up with the Lord. It's, it's what's referred to as the rapture of the church. And there is all sorts of debate about when the rapture of the church is going to take place. Some say it's pre-trib, and that's what I believe Revelation chapter 3 is preaching. That the church is going to be taken up before the, the Great Tribulation. Like a lot of people are all, who's the Antichrist? Where's the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? Oh, he must be the Antichrist. That's the antichrist." Look, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> like, like, I just believe that, and there's all sorts of different ways you can go and support that that thought, but you just need to know there's those that believe in pre-tribulation, there's those that believe in mid-trib, there's those that believe in post-trib, there's those that believe in pan-trib, it's just all gonna pan out, everybody. It's just gonna all pan out. And wherever you stand in that, I do just think that there's a promise. Look, God says, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna protect you. Listen, the judgment of God that our lives deserved has been poured out upon Jesus. He absorbed it all, all, all. And now he protects my life as I'm found in Jesus. Amen. So there's justice to the church. There's protection to the church. And then this last thing is the security. He says, you keep going. Philippians, you, you, you keep pressing on. Here's, here's what I promise you. I'm going to write your name in heaven. There's a, there's a, you will be a pillar in heaven. And there will be no more coming in and, and going out. You'll be anchored in heaven. Look at church. Listen. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep walking like the Philippian church did and we're gonna learn how they walked. But as you keep doing that, listen, you can walk secure. Why? Listen, my future is not a guessing game. I'm not wondering what's gonna happen when, I'm, when I die. I, I'm not wondering what's gonna happen in my tomorrow. Listen, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because my Jesus said and what Jesus said is true that I am anchored in heaven. So throw at me whatever this world wants to throw at me. I've got a better day coming, amen? I've got heaven coming for me. Now, I just hope that inspires you. You can walk through anything. Your money might be funny, but someday heaven, right? Your relationships might not be where you want them to be. There might be pain and sorrow on this side of heaven, but someday you will be anchored forever in heaven where he will wipe every tear from every eye, where sickness will be no more and death will be no more. Come on, somebody thank God for heaven. Amen? Amen? So that's the promises he gives the church. Now, what about the praise? I love the fact that Jesus praises this church in in Philippians because most of the other churches got praise, but they also got correction, right? This is one of the only churches that got all praise. And when I get in line, I want to have the all praise conversation, right? Like I want to have that conversation. But I do want to say this about correction. We need to learn in our lives to, to be okay with correction, right? Like, you, you got to open yourselves up to a little little correction. Parents, let me, let me help you as a little parenting tip. If you want your kids to grow and, and be successful in life, there's got to be this thing called correction. You can't just bring, you know, if, if there are things to correct, you ignore those things. Um, what you end up doing is affirming bad things if you're not correcting them. Amen? Does that make sense? You get better through correction. If you're off course, you need to be corrected to put back on course. If you're doing something that's going to lead you down a bad path or hurt you, man, send me somebody that, to help me and speak to it. Like, like, don't just affirm me and pat me on the back. Tell me, correct me, right? Because without correction, I can't get better. Look, if I, God, we need to be able to pray this before the like God, if there's anything in my life that is off, off path, off base. God, I just opened my life up to you. God, correct me. Some of you are like, that's a scary prayer. God's correction is one of the most merciful things that we could have in our life. And thank you, God, for conviction. You ever get convicted, anybody? Come on, you want conviction? Thank you, God, for conviction, right? So I've been into golf for the last couple of years. I think a lot of people got into golf during COVID. Come on, everybody. It's like a golf gift. And I got into golf and, uh, started studying. you know that the best golfers have, have these things called coaches? Come on. I know Like, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking they're Tiger Woods. I do not got a coach. No, Tiger Woods was a, is incredible golfer because he has a coach. And do you know the coach's job? Some of you Tiger Woods gets coach. Yes. And do you know what that coach does? That coach does not stand there. Okay, go ahead, tiger. Go ahead and swing. Oh man, you're so good. You just, you just crushing the game. Oh, you're not just praising Tiger. He's not just, just giving him affirmation every time he swings. You know how Tiger gets better? Because he finds people to help speak to what needs to be corrected in his swing, what needs to be corrected in his game. And he, he's, he's searching high and wide to find the people that actually have the skill to say, hey, if you did this, you'd be better. If you did this, you'd be better. And Jesus shows up and says, if you did this, it'd be better. If you did this, it'd be better. And I thank God for his correction. Amen? Come on, church. like, It is, some of you, I got four people that are like, I guess we want to, it's hard, but you need it. You need it. So I wonder, is God kind of correcting you? And that's, that's why we've been in, in Revelation looking at these corrections, right? Remember Ephesians, you guys lost your first love, the Ephesus church, and he's walking through those things, correction. Now I thank God for correction, but I also, I also thank God for some praise, Amen. Like, I think, like, parents, like, yes, correct, but also praise. And so Jesus shows up to this church and the the Philippian church, the, the Philippians in, in uh, Philadelphia, and he says, I just got all praise for you. I got, you guys have been crushing the game. You're doing great. And he he praises them on some very specific things. Now, a, a note to parents, since we left you in the correction thing, you need to correct, but you also need to praise. Amen? Like, uh... What gets praised, this is also a leadership principle, not just a parenting principle. What gets praised gets repeated. And so in other words, if you see something that your child is doing or employee or, or somebody that you're coaching doing that's good, praise it. Because what gets praised gets repeated. And I thank God for, for when I get off stage and I ask my wife, I care what everybody thinks, but I care mostly what she thinks. And I say, how did I do? Now, I'm married to an eight, everybody, if you know the Enneagram. And she's very strong. And she will tell me, well, you could have done better. And that's my correction. I say, what well, could I have done better? And it's usually, it's usually you could have gone a little shorter. That's what it usually is. Everybody, come on. If you believe her, say amen, right? If you're with it. Okay. So <laughs> yes, I did not need that. Thank you. But sometimes she'll just give me praise. Like you, you, you crushed it. You just, and, I, and I'll lean and go, what exactly was good? Like what exactly was it? Help me, help me, help me. Talk to me. Give me, give me some of that. And and Jesus shows up to this church and he, he just gives them praise. And here's what, why I bring that up. is like, I think if we pay attention to how Jesus praised this church and what he was doing within this church as they were living in a praiseworthy manner, now we will find our church, we're going to find ourselves to continue to be in this grace of God where he continues to open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. They, they lived in this grace place, this place of grace where they were pleasing to God. Now let's admit right up front and all acknowledge the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect church. Come on, everybody. Amen. I know. Come on. Some of you've been on the journey a little bit like this church is not perfect. And you left and you went to another church because you thought that church might be perfect. And you got in there and you found out that there's people in that church too. And people are not perfect. And you're going like, I'm going to go find the perfect church. And then you join it. And it's no longer perfect because you're in that church. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Amen. Like, so there's no perfect church. But there can be a pleasing church. This church pleased Jesus. This church pleased, pleased his heart. I just have this picture up in heaven that that I I want over our church. And I I believe is there. And I want it to continue to be that that our church just pleases Jesus. That Jesus looks down. He's like, he's like God, hey, hey, Father, I know there's some crazy things happening in California right now. I know there's some crazy things happening in the Inland Empire. I know the nation. But there's this church in, in Redlands. There's this church in the Inland Empire. I mean, and I'm just so pleased with that church. And I just want to be that church, amen? I want to live how the Philippian church lived, the Philadelphia church lived where we please Jesus. Come on, if you want that, say amen, amen? Like, we want to live in that. So, Jesus had for this church some promises. Jesus had for this church some praise and he introduces himself to this church in a very interesting way. He says to them, I am he who is holy, and I am he who is true. As you continue to walk with me and please me, I want you to keep in mind that I am holy. We've covered that as a church. It means that he is set apart. But he says, I also want you to know that I'm true. I want you to never forget I'm true. And, and church, listen, we need to, So we walk with Jesus, never forget that he's true. Someone say he's true. He's true. Someone say he's true. Now, there's, there's two words used in the Greek for true. One is true as in the statement is true. And that's not the word used here. The word used here is true as in he is true. In other words, he is genuine. It means genuine, authentic. It means the real deal. And what Jesus says to this church is pleasing to him is like, I would never forget, I'm the real deal. Never forget that, that I am genuine. Never forget that that I'm the one and the only one who can sustain you, who could uphold you, who won't crack when the pressure of life comes upon you. And I think that's really important for us to understand if we're going to continue to live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. Because here's what happens when you're not convinced that he's true. You're going to go look for some other things to be true or Other things to be genuine or other things to hold you up. So we find ourselves leaning and trying to find places in our life or people in our life that won't crack under the pressure, that'll hold us up and stand beside us and be a foundation for us. But you need to understand that He's the only one who won't crack. Like, he's the only one that is completely reliable. And if you don't understand that, here's what happens. Come on, if you're like me, you, you, you start putting pressure on people in your life to be what they could actually never be for your life. Sometimes you, you find yourself trying to rely on things to give you support that were never, or to give you that sense of foundation that were never meant to give you a sense of, sense of foundation. So, so you're looking, even to good things, you're looking to a spouse to be that sense of foundation, to be true for me. You're, you're looking for a job. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's what's gonna provide, and it's, a, it's my foundation, and I'm doing everything I can to stand on this, on this job. But, but here's what you need to understand, my friends only Jesus is true. And if you live your life trying to put on the job or put on the spouse or put on the kids or put on the relationship, that which only Jesus is intended to give you, you will end up, watch friends, putting more pressure on that relationship and that job and those friends than they themselves are able to bear or carry. Some of you are living that way right now. And I just need to remind you, only Jesus is true only Jesus, watch. Jesus said, I am the rock. And my daughter, Raya, by the way, that was my daughter this morning up here doing that ministry moment. She preached it so perfectly. Only Jesus is the one that we can build our lives on. He's the rock by which we stand. All other foundation, all other ground is sinking sand. And the sooner you realize it, the better. And so he tells this church up front, listen, I'm so proud of you. Keep walking with me. I am holy and never forget me and me alone. I and I alone am true. I and I alone can sustain you. Anyone grateful today that Jesus sustains us? Come on. He holds us up. That's why as citizens, we preach Jesus, period, end of subject. We teach Jesus. Jesus. We point people to Jesus. Say, like, Hey, we got a good kids program. You know why it's good? It points the kids to Jesus. We're not just babysitting and trying to pass the time so mom and dad can have. No, we are pointing those kids to Jesus. And our prayer is they get so much Jesus. When they get in the car with you and you're driving home, they're giving you Jesus. It's all about our student ministry. God's got doing so much in our student ministry but we're giving them Jesus. 51 kids baptized at at surf camp and we're giving them Jesus. It's Jesus that we stand on. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who is true. Okay. I got to move on. Amen. Jesus is holy. Jesus is true. And here's what I'm excited to tell you about. He's got some keys. Did you see that? Jesus said, I hold the keys of David. Now, and I open doors that no one can shut and I shut doors that no one can open. What, what is Jesus referring to? There, there's only one other spot in scripture where these keys are referred to. And it's over in the book of Isaiah chapter 22. Don't got time to go through the whole thing, but I, I, I challenge his homework. Go read Isaiah 22. And here's what's happening in Isaiah 22. The king, King Hezekiah, has given the keys of the kingdom to a steward named Shebna. Now, now Shebna... Was supposed to use, the king intended, for the resources to be used to bless the people of the kingdom. So the king's resources are to bless the people of that kingdom. Shebna's got the keys to those resources or keys to the storehouse. And what he's supposed to do is use them to distribute to all the people in need, to bless people. But what Shebna does is instead of blessing people, he blesses himself. How many of you know that God gives you blessings not to keep for yourself, but to bless people? And so he's holding it for himself. Actually, what he's doing is he's building for himself a monument or a a tomb. Back in that day, the the wealthy or even those in royalty would build for themselves uh, tombs as monuments to kind of tell everybody, hey, I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal. So he's using the king's resources to build this uh, monument or this tomb for himself. Well, in the book of Isaiah, what happens is, is, King Hezekiah finds out, and he takes the keys from Shebna, and he gives them to Eliakim. Now, this is a picture, by the way, it's a prophetic picture of what's happening in our world today, where there is a day where God the Father will take the keys of of heaven, of, of death, hell, and the grave. He takes the keys, and he gives them, takes them from the enemy, and he gives them to Jesus. He takes them from the one that was using them for his own agenda, and he gives them to Jesus, who opens them up for God's agenda. And here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22, prophetically about Jesus. I will place on his shoulders the keys to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I want you to understand today that this is prophetic about Jesus who's holding the master key to the kingdom. The master key. So the way the master key worked is that if that master key opened a door... There was no way to close or lock that door unless the master key showed back up and locked that door. If, if the master key locked a door there, you're not getting in it no matter how hard you try, unless you get that key to unlock the door, those keys to God's riches, those keys to all the doors in your life. Please understand this are given to Jesus and there's a lot of doors in your life. Amen. And you've got to understand it's Jesus that holds the keys to every single one of those doors in your life. He can open doors that no one can shut. And sometimes he'll shut doors that no one can open. It's Jesus who holds the keys. You know, this idea of a, a door or doors, they show up all over scripture. Door is a, a door is a, it's a point of transition, right, from one room to another room. It's, it's what gets us from one place to another place. Some of you right now find yourself in one place and you need to get to another place. And it, it's the door that's going to get you there. Some of you got some hopes, but, and the hopes aren't found where you are. They're found where you need to be. And it's a door that's going to get you. From where you are and on into where you need to be. And we use this concept of doors when we talk about how God guides and directs our lives. And that's actually very biblical. The, the idea of door shows up over and over again. So a couple places, 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul says this: a great and effective door has opened for me in Ephesus. 2 Corinthians 2.12, he says, When I came to Troas to preach Christ, a door was opened to me from the Lord. And so there's this idea of doors, this idea of doors. Now, church, here's what I want you to understand. To every single one of the doors in your life, Scripture tells us that Jesus holds those keys. He's the one who can open doors. If he wants it open, he's going to open it. He's also the one who closes doors. Now, everyone can get real excited when we talk about the open doors, but do you know that it says that he's the one who also closes doors? And that when he closes a door, no one can open it? Do you know that God guides your life, not just by what he provides, but by what he doesn't provide? Do you know that God guides your life, not just by the doors he opens, but by the doors he keeps shut? And we've got to move to a place in our life and in our maturity, in our faith, where, where we realize that closed doors are often gifts from God. That closed doors sometimes are are his mercy interacting on our behalf to to guard us and to protect us, to keep us from going through things that he doesn't want us to go through, to, to, to get us from staying, to keep us out of places that he doesn't want us to go to. And we've got to learn just to thank God when he closes doors. When God closes the door on that relationship, Somebody thank God that he closed the door on the relationship. You've been praying, and you've been knocking, and you've been hoping, and you've been wishing, and you've been dreaming, but God just continued to shut the door? Well, then walk away thinking God he shut the door. Amen? Yeah. Hey, let me, four of you. Okay, listen. I'll tell you, I'm going to be real. And some of you, are gonna, you're going gonna to feel this. You hear me. There was, I, Tatum, I gave, she gave me permission to tell you that there was, I chased A few quite a few girls around. Uh they were chasing me too. Let's be honest, but and there was a couple girls that when I was young in high school, going into college, and I was going, God, I know this is your will. Jesus, please. And I'm and I'm praying and I'm journaling and I'm like, come on, God. I do in the name of Jesus, I'm just gonna proclaim this. This is you, and I'm I'm pushing and I'm knocking on that. And that door never opened. Now, I always tell Tatum this. I say, you're the door that I was always hoping would open. And so since that door wasn't opening, I had to go find some lesser doors to hope they would open. But point is this. (laughs) Point is this. I look back now come on and I thank you Jesus that you did not open those doors because I got the best girl around. I'm like so grateful for God for how he provides. I look back at some of those relationships and I now see thank you God. And I'm telling you sometimes you will find yourself in situations like where are you God? Why won't you God? And then you're going to get over here and go thank you God, right? Because he guides you not just by what he provides for you but by but he doesn't provide for you. The doors he opens and the doors he keeps closed. God closes the door on that career. He closes the door on that opportunity. God closes the door and you just got to realize it's God guiding you into a new season. And sometimes it's just a season. God will open a door and you're in that door. and Then all of a sudden God starts closing that door. He's guiding you by what he provides and by what he doesn't provide. And I just think we need to be okay with the fact that God closes doors. Because, listen, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. God, if, if, if you don't want it for me, I don't want it for me. And, God, I don't want to sit here trying to push into things that you don't want to open up to me. Like, I just genuinely believe that God has a plan, everybody. He has a good plan for my life. He has a, he has a, it says in, in Scripture that he wants to prosper us and lead us forward. I believe that. And so if God closed a door on something I thought I wanted, it's because God knew I wanted it, but I didn't need it. If I needed it, the door would open. Follow me? And so I just got to get place, into a place where I'm just able to thank God for the doors that he leaves closed in my life. And I want to say this. I'm going to thank him for what he provides, but I'm also going to thank him for what he doesn't provide. When you find yourself up against a closed door, I want to encourage you with this. There's got to be a spot, a moment, where you discern that that door is not going to open. And what you need to do is to not sit at closed doors pouting that they won't open. Get up and keep moving to the doors that he's going to open. Because often when God closes a door, it's because he's wanting to open another door. But if you sit pouting at the closed door, you're never going to have the momentum to get you to the open door. I talk with people sometimes, and all they want to talk about is all the closed doors. I wanted this, and it never happened. I was hoping that. And back in the day, if this would have, and and if that should have, and right now, if this could have, and, and we get stuck at all the closed doors, friend, open your eyes. If he's closed the door, it's because he's merciful and he's gracious. Don't sit pouting there. Move on from there because he's got an open door just around the corner. There's something better just around the corner. Come on, you've seen it in your own life. He moves you from one job to another job. And the new job is better than the last job. And the new opportunity is better than the last opportunity. And he moved me into this door to prepare me for the next door. And he closed that door because, come on. He's just guiding my life into all that he has for my life. And so I'm going to keep walking forward because he's not just the God of the closed door. He's also the God of the open door. So I'm going to go find that open door. I'm going to keep moving. And it's often when he closes the door that he's getting ready to open another one. And if he's closed the door and I'm between a closed door and an open door, I'm going to praise him in the hallway, everybody. Amen. Just God, I'm just going to keep praising you because you're, you're leading my life. You're leading my life. He tells the the the, um, church of Philadelphia that he's prepared a door for them that is open and no one can shut it. But they had to go through it. They they had to move into the door that God opened for them. And and what I love about this church in Philadelphia is that they had what I refer to as this holy momentum. And this is so important. This is where, where I want to land today there 's this holy momentum in their life that allowed them watch to keep that momentum to keep moving and it 's actually when you study this passage of scripture it 's because they were living this way that God opened the door before them that God was giving them this opportunity and i 'll talk about what the opportunity was in a second, but because they were living this way, God was opening doors before them so you, you got to ask yourself what how are they living what is it, what is it that Jesus praised inside their inside their life well, we saw it in in verse Eight, he says, I know your works and I've set a door before you that's open and no one's gonna be able to shut it. Now, why did he open a door that no one can shut? Watch, here's what it says. For you have a little strength, you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. You've got a little strength and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. There's this momentum in your life and because that's there, I'm gonna keep opening doors for your life. You've, You've found yourself in this Momentum of heaven. Now, church, listen, please lean in. My prayer for you and I as a church, Citizens Church, my prayer for you as an individual is that you would find yourself in this exact momentum. You, and I'm telling you, you can. You can live in a way where your life is just moving forward in the momentum of heaven and God is just opening up doors before you. But you've got to learn what that momentum is built on. Did you see it? He said that momentum was built on a little strength. In other words, the, the church in Philadelphia, they weren't walking around thinking they were a big deal. The church in Philadelphia, watch, had this humility about them where they said, listen, it doesn't come from me. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength. I, I don't have in and of myself the ability. And therefore, because there's not a lot of strength in me, there's a whole lot of dependency on God. And I'm telling you, friends, if you can learn to shift your life from a dependency on you and into a dependency on God, I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself caught up in a holy momentum that keeps walking through the open doors that God's going to bring to you. Because if you, come on church, amen. If you live in a way where you depend on your strength, all you're ever going to see is what your strength can accomplish. If you, if you live your life going, God, watch me. He goes, okay, let's watch you. Let's watch you, Citizens Church. Let, let's, let's watch you, individual. Let's, let's watch you, spouse. Let's watch you, parent. You want to do this on your own? All you're going to get is what you can do on your own. But see, this church in Philadelphia, they just went, we can't do this on our own. We got a little strength. Therefore, God, we just throw ourselves upon you. Would you, God, unless you show up, what are we doing? God, and, I, and, and we've taught our teams this. It's the, I pray, please, church, listen, that this is the posture of our church. Come on, we just realize that unless God builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus, it says in Scripture, it's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. So, sure, we will practice worship. Do you know that before you get here in the morning, we do a full cue to cue run through and the worship team goes through and we don't just say, ah, that's good enough. We give it everything we got. Do you know before I preach, I pour over this hours and hours. It takes about three days to put together a message. And I pour my heart into it. And I get all in it. I give it my all. I'm gi- I believe God's given me a gift, and I'm just trying to use that gift. The worship team trying to use their gift. But do you know before we walk on this stage, do you know before our, our parking teams and our greeting teams, before we go out and do anything that we've been called to do, we have amazing designers in this church. Sydney's sitting over here, been crushing it. she has been on staff and she's an incredible designer. But in all the gifts that we've been given and everything we do, you know what we do before we do the thing we do? We say, God, we can't do this without you. Right. So before we step on the stage, we're back there praying, God, please move in the house. God, please move in the house. We don't want this just to be a performance and people to walk in and go, wow, the music's good. I want you to go, the music's better than what I heard some of you at the bar the night before. The music's far better, but there's something else going on in the atmosphere. And I can't quite put my finger on it. A little bit intangible. There's something bigger happening here than music being pumped through speakers. It's God moving in the house. And we're begging God move in the house. That preacher's up there preaching, and he's so far off his notes right now but it's bigger than just the preacher preaching. God is moving in your heart and he's moving in the house and he's, he's speaking to you and he's, he's, he's molding and shaping and correcting and directing and come on, and God is doing that. And so every day before I come on the stage, you going to follow me for a second, follow me. About right here, when I get right here, I step right here. Every time I come up, I go, God, they don't need me. You don't need me. Sure, I could study and I could prep, but you don't need me. You need God to speak to you. So I walk up and I just go, God, please, Jesus, you speak. God, you work. God, fill and anoint and God, touch. and God, help us to lean into here. God, they need you, not me. And this is the Philadelphia church. They're going, God, it's you, not me. And you know what happened? They found themselves in the slipstream of heaven. This momentum that moved them into one open door after another open door. They bumped against a closed door and that pushed them to an open door. And God just kept moving them forward because they stayed in this posture. You need it in your life. See, here's what happens. I'll I'll, I'll go from the church to your life because I don't got a whole lot of time left. The Church to your life. In the church when we planted Citizens Church, here's how we planted the church. Desperate. God, please show up. God, please send money, send people. God, please, God. God, we play for 50 people. Give us 50 people. If we have 50 people. Maybe God, and, then 50, and we're just desperate every week on our knees, begging God, please show up and move in the house. And you know what happens in churches? 50 people show up and then there's 100 and then there's 800 and 900 and 1,000. And pretty soon you got systems in place and you got money in the bank account. And what started is, God, please, we need you. You get this place where like, we got this. Careful. Careful, what you started with is what you have to continue with. Like that desperation where you're like, God, unless you intervene, man, we're out on a limb right now. And unless you show up, what are we doing? See, you got to live in that way. Some of you right now, you're holding on to something because it's a, it feels safe and it's secure and you're trusting in it. But listen, the thing that you're holding on to has not made you desperate for God. It's made you reliant upon that job, it's made you reliant upon what you think you know. God's actually calling you into more, but if you're ever going to see the more, you got to let go of all the things that have given you comfort to go trust him in some things where he's wanting to show himself to you. Where you're going to get desperate and you're just living in this place where, hey, I might not know where it's going to come from, but God put me here. I'm going to rely on Him. So you started in your marriage, like, God, please help, God, please help. And you're like, I got this. No, you don't. Parenting, God, please, come on, take this into it. Some of you are teachers in here, and you used to show up to teach, and you were just, come on, you remember those first days? God, please help, help. God, help me to give them you. I'm, I'm in the secular school district. God, I'm even at a Christian school, whatever it is. God, I just need to give me God, please help, help, help. And years have gone on. You got your system down now. And all of a sudden, all that desperation that was in your heart beforehand is now gone. And you're wondering, where's that spark? Where's that thing? Where's, I tell you where it is. It's in the place of desperation where you're just begging God to show up. And that's this church in Philadelphia. Come on, and let that be our church, amen? Where we just keep on, keeping on, relying on God. We march forward on our knees in Jesus' name, amen? Amen, church, come on, you believe it, amen? And let's close with this. That momentum was a dependency on God, and that momentum was also, as we close, it was a faithfulness to him. He says, listen, I'm so proud of you, Philadelphia Church. You've kept my word, and you haven't denied my name. You've remained faithful to me, faithful to me. You've kept my word and you haven't denied your name. Anyone grateful today for God's word? I want, you want to see momentum in your life? You want to see momentum? Come on, I keep using marriage. You want to see momentum in your, in the gifts that God's given? You want to see momentum in your, in your, in your teaching? You want to see momentum? You just want to see momentum. Look, you build your life here on God's word, true to his word. God knows what He's talking about, everybody. He knows how to bring life to every aspect of your life, but you'll never experience that life if you keep rejecting everything He said about life. And so when I wake up and I'm making a decision and I'm moving through my day, I don't say, What do I want? I got my wants, I got my desires, but over all my wants and desires is, God, what do you want? because what you want for me is better than what I want for me. And so where do I turn? God, I turn to your word. I turn to what you said. I'm I'm gonna build everything upon your word. I'm remaining true to your word. Come on. This is the Philadelphia church. They were true to his word And, and therefore they didn't deny his name. This is a beautiful picture. Let me give this to you. What it meant by they did not deny his name, you're gonna love this. Every aspect of their life could be signed in Jesus' name. Think about that for a second. Their character was consistent with the heart and the character of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful way to live? That every aspect of my life, Jesus, if you can't sign it, I don't want it. So you start thinking through your life. The way I respond, come on, can Jesus sign it? Can Jesus sign it? The the way that I'm parenting, can Jesus sign it? The, The way that I walk into a room, I want everything in my life to be lived in such a way where Jesus goes, Jesus, 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 yep, Jesus. See, not denying his name, being true to his name. And come on, I tell you, you start living your life that way and just, I'm dependent on you and I'm living in a way that doesn't deny you. I live in a way that just lines up with all that you have. The Bible says that Jesus who holds the keys to the storehouse, he'll not just close doors in front of you, he will open doors that no man can shut. And I'm telling you right now, there are some doors that God wants to open in your life. There's some things that God wants to do in your life as you just keep marching forward in the momentum of heaven, fully dependent on him and faithful to him in every way. Church, will you stand your feet with me? So close. You know, the... Uh, A lot of scholars believe that there is a specific door that that Jesus was referring to when he talked to the church of Philadelphia that he had opened up for for them. And that specific door was a door to bring the gospel to all of the all of Asia Minor. You see, uh, Philadelphia was located in a spot that was was it's like a base camp for Hellenizing all of Asia Minor. In other words, bringing the the Greek language and the Greek culture to all of Asia Minor. It was was the, listen, it was the jugular vein of, of Asia Minor. And here's what Jesus did, is he put a young church there. And now the place that was used to Hellenize Asia Minor became a strategic location to bring the gospel to all of Asia Minor. It was an open door. It was an open door. Church, listen, let me tell you a little story. Citizens Church and came out of 2020 with God opening a door for us at the Fox Theater. We thank God for the Fox Theater and we are so blessed that we got to do life there as a church. We basically replanted in 2021 and all through 2021 and 22, we just felt like, man, we, God's got more. I just think that, I don't know what it is, our kids ministry. We know what we can do if we could just have some space and God, would you just posture us? And we started praying for God to open a door. And I want you to know the story. It's not that we were sitting there and all of a sudden God opened up this. Here's what happened. I'm up on my birthday on December 31st, if you want to write that down. It's my birthday and, um, of, of this last year. And I get an email from Eddie at the Fox Theater. And it says this, Chris, we love you guys. Man, we're so great, but closed door. We got to close the door you've got a couple months before you got to get out of here and me and all my faith i went oh no and my wife went god's gonna open a door i'm like well i'm glad you got faith so we came back down the mountain from our trip and I like, okay, okay, if God's going to open a door. And we went around, and here's what went, what happened. We went from one closed door at the Fox Theater to another closed door. We started going to all the places that we used to go to. Like, we went to the Redlands High School. Will you guys open a door? Can we meet here? And they're like, no. They were nice, and they were sweet. We pushed on it again. I, if you know me, if you get around me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to really crack the door. Are you sure we can't? <laughs> Shut the door. We went to the University of Redlands again. Guys, do you think maybe close the door close the door listen to the point where there were no more door like we went to every place that we could we were thinking about moving the church back to like, do we move to Beaumont we got to do something I know those of you in Beaumont who want to say we'll get there eventually I promise you we'll be back but here's the point close the door close the door close the door close the door. and I in a moment of just going God what do we do miraculously, listen, miraculously God says, I was closing all of those doors so I can open up for you this door. Anyone grateful for this place? Anyone grateful to be here today? Listen, you need to understand, this This is an open door. This is an opportunity. God moved us to to a spot where we can live out everything that's in our heart. We believe that we're a regional church that's going to change regionally lives and and nationally in in our state. And this church, just like in the church of Philadelphia, postures us strategically. some of you are driving from Riverside and Beaumont and and Highland you're coming in from Fontana and all over the place because God strategically postured us here and I believe That as we walk into it with humility and we walk into it with faithfulness, we're going to see more people come to know Jesus than ever before. We're going to see more marriages healed than ever before. We're going to see San Bernardino changed. We're going to see the structure of the counties changed because of what Jesus is doing through you. He's opened a door. And we're going to walk into it with everything we've got. Amen. We're going to run into the fall just with, with a holy momentum. And I want it for your life. So this week, open your eyes to the open doors that are all around you. That job is not just a job, it's an open door. Those people standing in line behind you at the grocery store are not just people behind you in a grocery store, it's an open door. Open your mouth and share the gospel, invite people to church because friends, I'm telling you, we have yet to see what God will do through a church who's willing to walk through the open doors that are all around them and I'm praying for it in your life this week. Amen, church, amen. Come on, let's be like the church of Philadelphia. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives changed through the work here at Citizens Church.